Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Music is one of the greatest gifts the universe has bestowed on humanity. It provides so much joy and comfort and inspiration and enjoyment and motivation. It's used in ritual and worship, and it allows us to communicate when words fail us. Every culture we've ever known since the birth of this planet has had music. An existence without music? Inconceivable. But like everything else in this life, even the best things can be perverted and corrupted for malevolent purposes. And that includes music. It can be something as simple as your brother or sister annoying you by playing their awful music at high volume. Or music can be employed as a weapon, a tool of war an instrument of torture, a form of intimidation, and a way of inflicting pain and distress. To be fair, it can also be used as gentle, non-lethal retaliation against some kind of incursion or attack. No bullets may be fired, but a point will be made. This use of music is almost as old as music itself, and this history is not pretty. Welcome to the story of using music as a weapon. Oh, and a warning. This could get loud. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Drowning Pool with her 2001 song Bodies. That song was written about the Brotherhood of the Mosh Pit, but it has been twisted into a weapon of war ever since 2003 when the U.S. military at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba decided that they needed some extra firepower. The most famous victim of bodies was a guy named Mohammed Oud Sali, a prisoner from Mauritania who was held without charge for 13 years. He was alleged to be a member of Al-Qaeda, and the Americans wanted him to talk about his role in various terrorist activities. The uh, enhanced interrogation he suffered, included sleep deprivation. And during one stretch in 2006, he was subjected to that song at high volume for 10 straight days. It was part of the U.S. military's musical tricks. Doing such a thing now was recognized by many international bodies as genuine torture. Welcome again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is a program all about sonic weaponry, the idea of using sound, specifically music, as a weapon to achieve certain aims. I think the first time I realized music could be used this way was when I saw Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange for the first time. Alex, our protagonist, is sent to a special institution where he's psychologically conditioned to get very, very sick when exposed to sex and violence. One of the triggers for him getting sick was the music of Beethoven, his favorite composer. A couple of notes from the Fifth Symphony, and he was retching on the floor. I later realized that using music as a psyop weapon wasn't fiction. It was real. The first use of music in this fashion dates back thousands of years. Remember the assault on Jericho in the Bible with the trumpets of war that helped bring down the walls? Armies used songs and drums and marches to both lift the spirits of the troops and to strike fear into their enemies. And here's something diabolical. The drummers in these military troops were often young boys, literally little drummer boys, who were used by both American and European armies in the 18th and 19th centuries. 
Today, fighting songs are used to train child soldiers in countries like Sierra Leone and Liberia. In medieval times, music was often used when a person was to be shamed and denounced and sometimes tortured. That included extreme cases of military discipline. The music contributed to the ritual and the symbolism of the punishment, such as getting whipped. Music was also used as torture in Nazi concentration camps, starting when the first camp opened in Dachau in 1933. At first, patriotic German music was used to uh, re-educate inmates in the Nazi way. But when the war began, things got very sinister very quickly. Survivors testified that small orchestras played throughout the day, including during executions. If there was no orchestra, then the music was played over loudspeakers. Prisoners were forced to walk and work in time to the music, endlessly walking and working with no chance to stop. And the same songs were played over and over and over again. Oftentimes, the inmates were forced to sing along loudly, and that way they couldn't talk to each other. The music only made the physical and mental suffering worse. Music was used to break them psychologically. The Nazis were pioneers of musical sadism. Music was also used to mask the screams and cries of prisoners being tortured. Inmates knew that if the music got turned up, someone somewhere was cruelly being beaten. At the same time, the music was used to encourage the guards to be vicious and cruel. Here's another favorite played in the camps. Playing such a bouncy and happy and celebratory piece of music to the inmates of Jewish concentration camps is, is beyond perverse. For the rest of the German population, music was used as propaganda. German classical music and operas exemplified good German values. Anything experimental, that is, something outside the traditional structure, was banned. Let me play you something from Canadian violinist Hugh Marsh. In 1987, he released an album entitled Shaken the Pumpkins. The record featured a song called Rules Are Made to Be Broken. Listen carefully. This is um, pretty much self-explanatory. There was even a swing band in the notorious Buchenwald, made up for the most part of Czech and French prisoners. And since those were not only cruel, but also absurd times, people were put behind barbed wire because of the very music that was played. Canadian violinist Hugh Marsh with Rules Are Made to Be Broken. The first sonic weapon ever developed seems to be something called the Luftkanon, literally an air gun. This was a Nazi device from World War II that used the combustion of methane and oxygen. And these explosions, anywhere from 800 to 1,500 per second, created a series of sonic shockwaves that were amplified and roughly aimed by a parabolic sound mirror about three meters in diameter. It never entered the battlefield, but experiments suggested that these shockwaves were so intense that it could kill a man at a distance of 60 meters in about 30 seconds. 
And as far as we know, it was never tested on humans. Radio has been used to deploy music as a weapon. And again, with the Nazis. In World War II, German radio stations used a then-secret technology called magnetic recording tape. They play recordings of orchestras that went on uninterrupted throughout the entire night with the musicians never seeming to take a break, even when the city that they were broadcasting from was being bombed. So how could these Nazi musicians continue to perform even as the Allies attacked? It was a powerful disinformation campaign that used music. In the 1950s and 60s, organizations like the CIA started looking at ways of using both music and noise on suspected spies. They thought that this could be an effective way of countering Soviet brainwashing. Some soldiers underwent training designed to help them withstand torture, and part of their training involved being bombarded with music. When the military was in charge in Greece between 1967 and 1974, popular songs of the day were used as methods of torture by the Special Interrogation Unit of the Greek military police. Loud music combined with loud noise, sleep deprivation, no food, no water, bright lights, and being forced to stay in uncomfortable positions, otherwise known as stress positions. Similar tactics were used against detainees and prisoners in the USSR and the Middle East and Turkey. Lots of forced listening and lots of forced singing. This is the first time I remember hearing about music being used in PSYOPs, a psychological operation. It was certainly the first time such tactics made the news on a global scale. On December 20th, 1989, the U.S. invaded Panama, ostensibly to arrest Manuel Noriega, the country's dictator, on charges of running a major drug smuggling operation. This was known as Operation Just Cause. Noriega ended up taking refuge at the Vatican Embassy in Panama City on Christmas Eve. Embassies are no-go zones because they're sovereign territory of other nations. International diplomatic protocol demands that you stay out. So if the U.S. Army couldn't go in, they simply decided to smoke out Noriega by bombarding the embassy with loud music. General Maxwell Mad Max Thurman ordered that speakers be placed around the perimeter of the embassy, and they were turned to full volume, and music was pumped through 24 hours a day. Well, what did they play? Well, Refugee from Tom Petty, Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, and many, many, many plays of Van Halen's Panama. There was also plenty of Welcome to the Jungle from Guns N' Roses, way too much Never Gonna Give You Up from Rick Astley, Kenny Loggins and Danger Zone from the Top Gun soundtrack, there was Motley Crue, there was Led Zeppelin, there was ACDC. It was actually quite the playlist. This continued for several days before President George H.W. Bush got wind of this and ordered the music to stop, saying that this was undignified. And General Colin Powell, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, called this off. But it ultimately worked, and Noriega surrendered on January 3, 1990. And since then, the use of loudspeakers has been a regular go-to tactic. This was one of the last songs played for Noriega. By the time we got to the 1990s, the FBI had torture music down to a science. 16 hours with lights and loud music followed by four hours off. Repeat for four days, and the prisoner was sure to break. In Chile, music was used by the brutal Pinochet regime. Prisoners were often assaulted to the theme of a clockwork orange. 
When the first Gulf War began in 1990, Iraqi prisoners of war were often subjected to long stretches of metal music. ACDCs shook me all night long. Paranoid from Black Sabbath and No More Mr. Nice Guy from Alice Cooper were some of the songs on those playlists. But it was when America began the war on terror after 9-11 that music torture really took off. We'll pick things up there in a moment. Not all musical psyops operations are directed towards foreign enemies. In 1993, David Koresh barricaded his followers of the Branch Davidian cult in a compound in Waco, Texas. They were all heavily armed, and there were serious concerns that children were being abused behind those walls. For 51 days, they maintained a standoff with the DEA and the ATF, and one of the ways they tried to break the Davidians' will and get them to give up peacefully was by bombarding the compound with loud music. That playlist included Achey Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus, Nancy Sinatra, These Boots Are Made for Walkin', some chanting by Tibetan monks, songs by Andy Williams, and some Christmas sing-alongs by Mitch Miller from the 1950s. To fight back, Koresh plugged in his own speakers and fired back his own music. You see, he was a musician himself, so the agents on the outside were dosed with guitar from his band, and Koresh's speakers were actually louder than those being directed at him. In the end, though, the music did not help either side, and when authorities finally tear-gassed the place on April 19, 1993, Koresh and his people apparently set fire to the compound. 76 people, including 25 children, were killed. When the U.S. invaded Iraq following 9-11 in the so-called War on Terror, music was an important part of the arsenal. Speakers were often mounted on the top of Humvees that blared ACDC and Metallica as a way to intimidate and harass Iraqi insurgents. This was the beginning of something known as no-touch torture. I quote, It's not so much the music as the sound. The aim is to disorient and confuse the enemy. If you can bother the enemy through the night, it degrades their ability to fight. Then there's this from the 361st Psychological Operations Company. This quote is from Sergeant Mark Hadsell. These people haven't heard heavy metal. They can't take it. If you play it for 24 hours, your brain and your body functions start to slide. Your train of thought slows down and your will is broken. That's when we come in and talk to them. Remember, too, that to some Muslims, popular music is considered sinful. To be subjected to non-religious music in this matter was even more distressing. Songs with female vocals were particularly traumatizing, as were popular songs sung in Arabic. Much of this seems to go back to a September 2003 memo by General Ricardo Sanchez entitled Yelling, Loud Music, and Light Control, authorizing those things to, quote, create fear, disorient the detainee, and prolong capture shock. This tactic was used heavily around the city of Fallujah, so much so that soldiers named the area Lola Fallujah. And this is one of the songs they used. Metallica, weaponized for use by American troops in Iraq. James Hetfield is on record as supporting the troops' use of Metallica's music in war zones. I quote, People assume we should be offended that someone in the military thinks our song is annoying enough that, played over and over, it can psychologically break someone down. I take it as an honor to think that perhaps our song could be used to quell another 9-11 attack or something like that. According to some anonymous FBI reports, there was an interrogation room set up in the prison at the U.S. airbase in Mosul, Iraq. 
It was known as the Disco Room and was in operation from 2004. Subjects were blasted with powerful strobe lights and super loud death metal. But not just metal and hard rock. The theme songs from Sesame Street and Barney the Dinosaur have been used as psyop tactics, including enhanced interrogation, which, of course, is that bureaucratic term for torture. John Ronson wrote a book called The Men Who Stare at Goats, which covers some of these tactics. Victims report migraines, confusion, and even hallucinations. He says he saw people who had been subjected to Sesame Street and Barney screaming so hard it looked like they were laughing. A quote from Amnesty International. Detainees have reported being routinely subjected to cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment during arrest and detention. Many have told Amnesty International that they were tortured and ill-treated by U.S. and U.K. troops during interrogation. Methods often reported include prolonged sleep deprivation, beatings, prolonged restraint in painful positions, sometimes combined with exposure to loud music, prolonged hooding, and exposure to bright lights. Virtually none of the allegations of torture or ill-treatment has been adequately investigated by the authorities. This brings us to the story of Ruhal Ahmed, a Bangladeshi who was captured in Afghanistan in 2001 and sent to Camp Delta at the military prison at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. He was treated horribly, forced into so-called painful stress positions with handcuffs and chains. The interrogation continued for months. What were he and his two friends planning? Who were their terrorist connections? To get him to talk, he was subjected to hours and hours and hours of M&M on full blast. And at one point, he endured this for 20 straight hours. Ruhal Ahmed and others went through terrible musical torture while imprisoned at Gitmo. If it wasn't Eminem, the music came from Dr. Dre and Meatloaf, sometimes while being forced to wear headphones. They were sometimes locked into wooden boxes while being forced to listen to the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack throughout the night. He was released in March 2004 after spending more than two years there. And there's a good documentary on what he went through called Road to Guantanamo. Things were also bad at the notorious Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. One prisoner says that in 2008, he was stripped, handcuffed, and forced to listen to a loop sample of Babylon by David Gray at a volume so high, he thought his head would burst. All right, back to Gitmo. The torture playlist there also included March of the Pigs from Nine Inch Nails, We Are the Champions from Queen, Springsteen's Born in the USA, Angel of Death from Slayer, Metallica's One, and tracks from Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. There was never any official playlist. It seems that the interrogators either made use of whatever music they had available or just picked material that amused them. Interestingly, this is fascinating, the U.S. military may owe these composers thousands of dollars in royalties because they use their music in torture. Which leads us to this. In 2014, Canadian industrial pioneer Skinny Puppy sued the U.S. military for using their music on prisoners. They wanted $666,000 in compensation for using their music without their permission. The band only found out after a guard who had been at Gitmo told them that songs like this were being used for enhanced interrogation.
Here's another example of music being used as a weapon. In 2002, when Palestinians occupied the Church of the Nativity, attempts were made to drive them out using metal songs. Also from Israel, there were reports of Palestinian detainees being tied to tiny chairs with hoods over their heads and blasted with classical music at high volume. When we come back, a couple of examples of non-military use of music. So far, most of our discussion has involved the use of music as an offensive weapon by the military, various governments, and law enforcement. In some cases, this has been halted. In others, such as in Israel, where the Supreme Court ruled in 1998 that using music as an interrogation technique should be allowed, not so much. Here are a couple of other ways music has been used as a weapon. In 2019, four prisoners at a jail in Oklahoma City were subject to an interrogation that involved them standing for hours at a time while being forced to listen to Baby Shark. They later sued the police department. Ships continued to be harassed by pirates off the coast of Somalia. Some of the crews of these ships discovered that when an attack is imminent, blasting the pirates with Britney Spears seems to ward them off. Maybe one more time and oops, I did it again on a loop seems to work the best. In South Korea, speakers were set up along the south side of the demilitarized zone, and K-pop songs were blasted to the north. The music was used to drown out the propaganda announcements coming southward. The north speakers were too weak and overwhelmed by the K-pop. When this created too much tension in 2018 and hostilities threatened to break out, South Korea stopped. In Uzbekistan, there was a government-sponsored girl group called Satora, inspired by the Spice Girls, that was used to spread propaganda. In 2020, two tech billionaires in California got into a scrap over a glass sculpture one of them had on their property. Bill Gross, the aggrieved party, complained to the local authorities. So he wired up some speakers and started blasting the neighbor with the statue with the theme from Gilligan's Island 24 hours a day. And in New Zealand in early 2022, authorities helped break up an anti-vax protest by blasting the crowd with a mix of Barry Manilow's greatest hits and the Macarena on a 15-minute loop. That worked great. But let's get serious again. Once it became known that their music was being used in torture, a group of artists formed an initiative called Zero DB in 2008. This was part of a charity called Reprieve. Reprieve represented about a dozen prisoners at Guantanamo Bay and set about encouraging people to condemn the use of music as torture. Thereafter, governments to enforce the Convention Against Torture and other treaties related to the treatment of prisoners. The signees include Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, members of R.E.M., Rise Against, Pearl Jam, Trent Reznor, Limp Biscuit, System of a Down, Disturbed, The Estate of Prince, The Chili Peppers, Eminem, Marilyn Manson, Neil Diamond, Dr. Dre, and a host of others. That also includes Christopher Cerf, the composer of the theme song for Sesame Street, and also the composer of the Meow Mix theme, which was also used as a torture device. Okay, that's that's enough. Imagine being forced to listen to that for days on end. Here's another group that signed the zero DB petition. Massive attack. Throughout this program, we've only discussed using music as a weapon. But there are also weapons that use sound. 
Some police forces have sound cannons, which can project debilitating pulsating tones that can reach 149 decibels. That can cause permanent hearing damage almost instantly. You may have heard of a device called a mosquito, which emits a sound in the 18,000 hertz range. It's sold to people who want to repel loiterers. A more benign way of doing this is playing classical music. Let's say you have a convenience store. You don't want people hanging around outside. What do you do? You play classical music, and that seems to get rid of everybody. Like I said at the beginning, music is one of the universe's greatest gifts. But humans being humans, even the most wonderful things have been turned against us by other humans. When we listen to music, we not only hear it, but we feel it with our bodies. And used in a certain way, that feel becomes violence. Hundreds of ongoing history programs are available as podcasts. Just pick a platform, download, and go. Binging is encouraged. We can also meet up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. There's my website, which is a journalofmusicalthings.com, which is updated every day with music news and information. And it also comes with a free daily newsletter. All emails should be sent to alan at alancross.ca. Hopefully this program wasn't too torturous. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.